This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book under the covering title of Saul, who also is called Paul. We may learn many wonderful lessons from the life and character of Saul, who was also called Paul. But we're taking one expression of his. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we're going to dip into the earthen vessel, whose name is Paul, and try to discover some of the treasures that are contained in his teaching. We read, as a part of our lesson this morning, a part of the book of Esther. And that gives us some little idea of what it meant to approach a sovereign in the days of Persian kings. Esther was a Jewess. And she said, nobody can go into the presence of the king unless he is called, and if he does, he suffers death. But if I perish, I perish. You see, friends, even in connection with an earthly king, there was no barging into the presence of God. It was a very serious matter. And she stood there in the entrance. And blessed be God, the king lifted his golden scepter and she was accepted. What well, the subject I have naturally is that. I want you to ask us to consider the wonderful blessing we have of access into the presence of the Lord. And then I stop myself. I check myself. I said, you can't have access into his presence without a basis. You must be accepted before you can have access. And both those words are used of us in connection with our calling. So here we are this morning, taking this treasure out of this earthen vessel to look at the idea of acceptance as a basis for access and considering something of their blessedness. Now in the first case, I go right back to the first chapters of the book of Genesis. Because of sin, access into the presence of God in the garden was shut. There was the flaming sword that turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And then the two brothers give us an exhibition of this great subject. Abel, he brought the firstlings of his flock. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. And then there arose that anger. And the Lord said these words to Cain, If thou doest not well, shalt thou not be accepted? If there's anybody in this little congregation who is absolutely sinless, well, you don't need to listen to me. But even if you said you were, none of us would believe you, friends. You know that, don't you? The Lord said, The basis of acceptance is if you do well. But what can you say to a world that can never bring that? He says there's an alternative. Now our version is misleading. It says, sin lies at the door. Well, that's been lifted out and used by novelists. But the word sin is the word sin offering. And the Lord said, if you cannot provide righteousness yourself, there's your answer. 
A sin offering lies at the door. Do what Abel did. So the basis of our acceptance is not how good we are, but what Christ is made to us. So the basis of access is because we're accepted in the beloved. So now we're going to take the next step and consider this question of access. First of all, we turn to Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans, the fifth chapter. And the second verse, I think, reads like this. We'll read the first verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, now the words by faith may be holding out two arms. We're justified by faith, but by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of these two things, being justified, covered with his righteousness in the presence of God, and then entering into peace because there's a bit of satisfaction for all sin. Because of that wonderful position which we have now by grace, it says, by whom also we have access. So you see, access is something additional. It's wonderful to realise that we are saved by grace, that we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. He says, also is another one, a blessed one, you have access. Access into this grace wherein you stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, you're living here in this world, or if you're not living in this world, there's some folks living in Manchester apparently, who could take pleasure and comfort from the next. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. It's good to know that the salvation of God, which is probably associated with our future in glory, doesn't forget our present wilderness experience. He who led the children of Israel out went with them all the way and provided those 40 years, as well as Joshua leading them across the Jordan into the land of promise. All these things are written for our learning and are legitimately spiritualized in that sense. So now we have this statement that we have access. Now let us turn to the epistle to the Ephesians. We had chapter 1 read to us. We'll have chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In the first case, the emphasis of the fact that we are rejoicing in the, in the blessing that we have access, does suggest a little bit to us that by nature we haven't. Because if it was a common property to everybody, you wouldn't bother about it. So in this chapter 2 of um, Ephesians, it starts with these words, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And without reading all the way down that chapter, Verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens, being strangers, having no hope, without God in the world. That's part of it up, isn't it, friends? That's what we were by nature. 
And we're talking about access. There's no possibility of access unless you get this settled. The far off ones may die by grace through the offering of Christ. But now, what a change. In Christ Jesus, and only in him, you see, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There's one thing which is common to all the New Testament scriptures, whether it be the kingdom of heaven, whether it be the epistles of Paul, whether it be the epistles of Peter, or the book of the Revelation, or whether it be the high and holy calling of Ephesians and Colossians, there's never absent this precious blood of Christ. There are some who think that we are so wrapped up in heavenly places that we forget this basic fact. It starts at the door of the Garden of Eden. Acceptance is there, and access is there, if, but Cain rebelled against it. But those who are sheltered by this sacrifice of Christ, they have an access and an acceptance which is beyond the language of ordinary mortals to fathom. But we know something of its blessedness. So he says, after all that, you were aliens and strangers, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you sometimes are far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made the both one. Here is a, a peace which has united conflicting parties and brought them into the presence of a holy God, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. This middle wall of partition referred to a prohibition. And if you visit the British Museum, you can actually see the literal, not merely a cast of it, but the literal stone with the Greek inscription which is referred to here. So, whenever you do go to the British Museum, try to find that, because it belongs to our calling. It says, anyone or no one must pass this barrier who is not a believer in the sense that it was understood in connection with the temple of uh, Jerusalem. Whoever does so, does so under the threat of the penalty of death, which will immediately follow. But he's broken down the middle wall of partition. There is now no Jew or Gentile in his sight, they are one in Christ. And so in that capacity, they approach God in this calling. Not one saying you're a Jew, not one saying you're a Gentile, but they belong both to a Redeemer who has shed his blood for them. And that he might reconcile the both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to they which are nigh. Now all this is a preparation for the one word we have before us. All this is leading up to this precious word. But through him, we, the both, not separately, but the both, have access, have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
And as a consequence of having this access, we are no longer strangers and and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So you see, friends, this question of acceptance and question of access is a very vital part of our calling. And while we may say, well, you're only telling us what we know, blessed be God, we can never tell it too many times, and every time we speak about these things, there's something there that the Spirit of God can take and make live, which perhaps we have passed by or not been quite so sure about before. I'm making no apologies. I'm only explaining. We've got depths and heights in this epistle to last us for a travelling till our travelling days are done, and most of us know it. So there we have this question of access in chapter 2. Will you look now at chapter 3? No, I'm sorry. Uh, Chapter 3, yes, verse 12. There's an added word here. An added word. It's one thing to timidly enter into a presence. I don't know quite how one would feel if you suddenly had to be introduced, say, to the Queen. Well, as a real old do, you have to go to the barbers, you have to get a proper suit of clothing, you have to be sure that your shoes have, have got a certain amount of polish on them, and you yourself have got to watch your step, you've got to have all your fingernails cut. Oh, my, my, my! Into the presence of a Queen. What about entering into the presence of God? So it says here, in this 12th verse, uh, is it the 12th verse? Um, yes, chapter 3, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access. There's a figure of speech which is not quite used in the English language. Boldness and access is not quite the way we would say it. But it links together the two. You have access. That you have boldness with it. Fancy having boldness of sinners saved by grace entering into that holy presence. If Esther could say about her own husband that if he didn't stretch out the golden scepter she says, if I perish, I perish. What about entering into that presence? But we, we draw near without fear. The work of Christ has been so effectual and so planned by God himself on our account, that we have not merely been accepted in the Beloved, not merely have access into his presence, but we have access with boldness. Oh, friends, let's think of these things and think of them with gratitude, as I feel sure we do. And so we have this emphasis. Uh, Would you look at the first epistle of John? just for an additional statement. First Epistle of John, chapter 4. First Epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 17. I think we must go back a little bit to get the context. Uh... Supposing we go back as far as verse 10 of 1 John 4. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us 
So the first mover in this wonderful thing was God. We may have felt a need, but we could do nothing about it. It was God who sent his Son. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son, not merely to tell the children of Israel parables, but something deeper, to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he says, this ought to come back on you, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Then he goes on further. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfect in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. We're coming presently to this idea of boldness, which is in front of us. Let's go on. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God had to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. The word perfect can be misunderstood by the modern usage of it. It's literally as the thought of taking anything to its legitimate end. Not merely perfect, but perfect. He said it's one thing to talk about the love of God, but the way you carry on, he says, with one another, I should hardly believe you knew what it meant. You see? He says, if Christ has loved you and you profess to love Christ, what about showing it to one another? So here it makes it a fact, not really a doctrine. Here it is our love, or love with us, made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. This is the other side of the story. In one aspect, we can do nothing whatever to ensure our access, or to make ourselves accepted. But that may be a very comforting doctrine to some folks who have no idea that they should manifest the love of God. It must, should not really be a doctrine that you subscribe to on a sheet of paper, but it should be also a part of your daily life of witness. And so he's bringing together the two sides. The Apostle Paul stressing the great doctrinal basis, acceptance first, and access as a consequence. John says, yes, that's true enough. But if you want to have boldness in the day of judgment, just see to it that if you have been loved with the love which Christ has loved you, just show a little bit of it to one another. And that's taking love to its legitimate end. Perfect and perfect. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but love which is perfect, perfected love, casteth out all fear, and so on. So we see that we have not really access, but boldness of access, which I trust is something well worth um, our pondering this morning. Of course, this takes us a great range to be accepted by God 
means that the two great epistles, Romans stressing righteousness and Hebrews stressing holiness, they have been entered, they have been received and they have been believed and been acted upon. To have perfect love, to have boldness of access in that presence, we must be clothed with righteousness. But we can do that, stand in his presence in filthy rags of our own, but justified by faith, we stand accepted in the beloved. And then we have the epistle to the Hebrews, which stresses not so much justification by faith, but holiness and sanctification. Because we remember that when we draw near to God, we are drawing into a holy place. And anyone who set foot in there without the prescribed conditions did so under the threatened penalty of death. It's no trifling matter to go into the presence of the living God. But we need not fear. In fact, we, have, we can go boldly because the finished work of Christ is absolutely met the bill. So I felt this morning that we would dip into the earthen vessel and we would lift out the word access. And then as I say, I corrected myself. I said, but what's the basis of access? It's acceptance. So I'm asking you just to take it for what it's worth this morning, that we are accepted in the Beloved, and because of that we have access into his presence.